Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page. First things first, good morning, Christ Community Church. That's not bad considering I know you're tired because I'm really tired. Uh, I, I try to stay away from politics in the pulpit, but can we all come just around this issue? Can we get rid of daylight savings time, please? Just get rid of it. Can we all agree daylight savings time sucks? Can we just agree on that? I was always told growing up, well, farmers want it. And then I read online today, no, most farmers polled oppose it. So I'm like, okay, what's the rationale now? This is just goodbye. We need to make that a cause, all right? Oh, oh man, I'm so tired. It reminds me of the story I had to, when I was in seminary, a preaching professor told me this story. He said that um, he was preaching, uh, filling in at this little church. And so he's preaching. And this was a time, and some of you are old enough to remember this. This was a time where you didn't get up and walk out of church during the sermon. That was considered rude. You just, I mean, it, you just crossed your legs if you had to, if you know what I mean. And you just sat there. And so this guy's preaching, and a guy gets up and, and walks out. And so his wife comes up to the preacher afterwards, and, and um, you know, she's like, oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I'm so embarrassed. And um, you know, and the preacher was like, well, I did find it kind of distracting, and, and, and the woman goes, oh, don't, 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 don't take it personally. It wasn't anything aimed at you. He's been sleepwalking since he was a child. Um, I don't know if it's a true story or not, but hey. Um, so women's Bible study, since Andrew forgot about this, uh, Finding God Faithful, you can sign up in the atrium, uh, workbooks are $14.00. And it starts uh, March 19th, um, and um, Thursday mornings at 10, Thursday evenings at 6. So men's Bible study on Saturday, so there you have it. You can find all that in your bulletin, which you should grab a bulletin because there are prayer requests in there that you need to be paying attention to. All righty, um, we're into Luke, the gospel of Luke. And I'm not sure I had enough coffee to do this, but I will try to do this. We're going to Luke 8, that's where you're going, Luke 8 is where we're going, 819. And so, and, and here's the thing, while you're going there in your app or opening your Bible or whatever, here's one of the things I'm trying to get across. I, I hope this comes across. That when you're reading through any book of the Bible, but, but, but especially the Gospels, I want you to see how they hang together. We have four Gospels, right? You can argue we only needed one. We only need one story about Jesus, but we have four. Why? Okay, you need to think of it this way. Here's the best kind of analogy. There are four different sermons about Jesus from four very different people. They don't contradict. They don't differ. They all harmonize, but it's just four different approaches. And, and what they choose to report about Jesus' life is important, and how it all hangs together. And when you start to see those sections, how those hang together, then you can really get what's going on. And so we're going to start off at 819. And, and, and these first few verses, 819 through 21, many of you have read them many times. But here's the problem. You read it, and then you move on, and Jesus does a miracle. And then you move on, and Jesus does another miracle. And then he does another miracle, and then he does another miracle. 
So how it started in this section, you've completely forgotten. Because we're all, you know, dazzled by all the miracles. But this stuff hangs together, and so it's important to see how it hangs together. So let's look at it. Luke 8, 19. Now Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. Someone told him, your mother and brothers are standing outside wanting to see you. He replied, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and put it into practice. Now, I know you read through that and it doesn't strike you as much. But this would have been revolutionary in first century Israel. If you know your Old Testament, what are sons and daughters commanded to do? Respect your mother and your father. So if your mother or father comes to see you, and by this time Joseph has died in all likelihood. He probably died when Jesus was around 13 or 14, which is why Jesus was a carpenter, stone worker, worked with his hands, because he had to support the family. And so, but still, even though he was supporting the family, if, and this happens in Judaism today, it's still this way. If your mother comes a calling, you go. So when Jesus turns around and says, you don't understand. These are my brothers and sisters. This is my family. The people who follow me and follow my teachings, that's my family. And people in the first century, especially Jews in the first century, but what? This is revolutionary. And I'm going to come back and talk to it because, because it's so revolutionary, and it still is today. And I can prove it to you. Now, for those of you raised in the church, since you were yay big, it's not a big deal. You're just used to it. If you're a convert to the faith later in life, like I didn't become a Christian until I was in my mid-20s, the first time someone you don't know at church calls you brother or sister, it's weird, isn't it? It's just weird. What do you mean? And yet, we've always done this. Why? Because we're following Jesus' teachings that this is family. But do you see it that way? Because Jesus did, and I'm going to argue what comes afterwards is to reinforce what he's saying here because it was so revolutionary. We get so used to some things in the church, we forget how incredibly novel this was. This was not, we take it for granted, but this has not always been the way. The Roman Empire accused Christianity of practicing incest because they called each other brother and sister. Because they didn't get it. They just thought it was weird. And yet Jesus makes this point. Don't forget that. We're going to come back to 822. 822. One day Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. And as they sailed, he fell asleep, he being Jesus. A squall, that's a storm, came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. The disciples went and woke him saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. But he got up and rebuked the wind. That's a terrible word for that. I'll come back and talk about that. He got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters. The storm subsided and all was calm. Where is your faith, he asked his disciples. 
In fear and amazement, they asked one another, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, they obey him. Now, all right, NIV, fine translation, this part stinks. Rebuked, who says that? When was the last time you used that word? Honestly, right? My kids got out of line, I rebuked them. No, you didn't, shut up. You told them, stop. That's a better translation. What it says is Jesus got in the boat, looked at the wind, looked at the waves, and said, stop. And they stopped immediately. In the Greek, you can see it ceases. And when it says it ceases, it means the wind immediately ceased. The waves immediately ceased. In the one moment, they're in the middle of a storm. And a Jewish guy from Nazareth just goes, stop. And it stops completely. The very next second, the water is still and there's no wind. Okay, now, speaking just for myself, if I'd been there, I'd have to check my shorts. Boom, stop, cease. Can you even grasp that kind of power? Can you? This is power nothing you've ever encountered. Period. But it doesn't stop there. 826 through 39. It's one of my favorite, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. It's not my my favorite favorite. We'll get to that when we get to Acts. When a demon-possessed man whips up on some exorcists so badly that he takes their clothes off. You know you got your butt kicked when you walk out naked. <laughs> Saying. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, we don't actually know exactly where that is um, because the names have changed so often in Israel over the last 2,000 years. you got to remember the Jews got kicked out by the Romans, and then uh, the Muslims come in and so forth. The names have all changed. We're, we're not really sure where this is, but we're, we're fairly certain that this is a Gentile area. This is an area made up of non-Jews. Now, there were pockets like this in ancient Israel. In ancient Israel, there were pockets where non-Jews would live. Why? Here's why. You've got a bunch of Roman soldiers there, and what do Roman soldiers who are Gentiles, non-Jews, want? That Jews would not provide. Bacon. So you had Gentile pig farmers in pockets of Israel there to sell pork to the Roman Empire. So this is where they're at. Across the lake from Galilee, 27. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes... Or lived in a house, but he had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. Now we're going to stick there for a second. A couple things. Here's the first one. All right. If you don't know anything about Judaism, still to this day, there are a couple things that Jews find taboo. They don't want to have anything to do with. They don't want to even get near it. One, pork. Two, they don't like dead bodies. Dead bodies make you unclean, ceremonially unclean. And, of course, like anybody in their right mind, they're afraid of demons. So now, Jesus steps off the boat with 12 Jewish guys. 
the Jewish guys look up and they see, and by the way, and being nude in public was considered, it was considered humiliating. So you've got a naked, demon-possessed man who's been living in a graveyard next to a pig farm. Can you imagine how the disciples felt when they look around and they see this scene? Here's the closest I can do for you. What if somebody came up to you and said, hey, how you doing? Yeah, I just got back from China. (coughs) That kind of thing. Freaked them out. And then, what does the demon-possessed man say? And of course, this is the demon speaking. He says, don't torture me, I beg of you. And the Greek there, I beg of you, he's saying it over and over and over again. Like a child, a child, please, 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 please. This demon is going, please, 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 don't torture me. This is a demon. And he is terrified of Jesus Christ. Do you see a thread here of power? Verse 29. Jesus commanded the impure spirit to come out of the man. Many times it seized him. And get this, though he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged Jesus repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. Stop there for a second. Okay, notice what's going on here. Unfortunately, Christianity's theology has been more influenced, especially about hell and Satan and demons, has been more influenced by cartoons than Scripture. Whether it's Looney Tunes or South Park, the idea is that Satan rules in hell. That's his home. That's where he rules. That is not in the Bible anywhere. That is not true. Satan does not rule in hell. Hell is a prison for Satan, his demons, and the unfaithful at the end of time. That's what it is. Satan does not sit in hell. Satan roams the earth looking to devour. That's what the Bible says teaches, to destroy, to kill, to devour. That's what Satan and his demons do. And they have the ability literally to take an unsaved person and overcome them and control them, and yet they are terrified of Jesus Christ. And they're saying, begging, please don't throw me into the abyss. What's the abyss? That's hell. That's hell. 32. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into the pigs. He gave them permission. I'm sure the pig owners didn't like that, but and when the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, before we go on to 34, here's something I didn't know when I was researching this. Maybe you knew this. I didn't know this. My dad was a a farmer. Grew up on a farm. He knows this kind of stuff. 
The closest I've ever been to a farm is Bob Evans. Um, and that's the closest I want to get. Um, you know, my idea of camping is called a Hampton Inn. Um, so, but I did not know this. Pigs can swim. Did you know this? I didn't know this. Pigs can swim. So it's not that the demons took over and the pigs were just like went crazy and, and, you know, went into the water and they're like, what's this? And then they just, you know, they drown. The demons are killing them because that's what they do. And when those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they also checked their shorts. Then they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. What are they afraid of? It's not the demon-possessed man anymore. He's fine. He's finally got some drawers on. He's behaving himself. They're afraid of Jesus, of that power. And those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured and all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and left. The man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him. But Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, one, why are they afraid? It's the same reason we should be. I know that you've been taught that when the Bible says fear the Lord, it means it doesn't really mean fear. It means just be in awe of and all this kind of stuff. That's true, but you should be in awe of God. But that's not what that means. When it says fear the Lord, it means be afraid. And here's one of the reasons why. Here's why they were so afraid and they asked Jesus to go away. When you encounter that kind of power, how can you manipulate that? You can't. There's no bargaining. There's no, hey, look at me. There's no, what can I get for you? There's no putting that person in your debt. There's no, nothing. The Bible makes this clear. What do you give to God? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, he loves you anyway, but you can't manipulate God. You cannot coerce God. You cannot trick God. I've talked about this many times, right? Every time I bring up the lottery, right? I don't play the lottery unless it hits like 500 million or something crazy like that. And then I'm dumb and I go waste like two bucks. And I might as well just set it on fire. And I go and buy a ticket and you've all done it. Any of you who have bought a lottery ticket, you've done it. When you're buying that ticket, what are you thinking? Lord, the good I could do. It would all be for you, Lord. Like he needs that. He doesn't need anything. You can't manipulate God. You can't coerce God. You can't, there's nothing there. God will do what God will do. And he has the absolute power to do it, and you have no real say in it. And if that doesn't make you afraid, what does the Apostle Paul say? To work out your faith in what? Fear and trembling. 
Because you have nothing to do with God. You can't, you just can't. You have no way you could influence God. And they were afraid. Then notice the second thing that happens there. A man who has been demon-possessed, and how does that happen? You're unfaithful, you're fooling around with stuff you shouldn't be, all the other kind of stuff. Even when I was an atheist, I did not get anywhere near Ouija boards. To this day, they freak me out. You've seen enough horror movies, you know you stay away from Ouija boards. I don't mess with them. I've told you a story. It's a true story. With my buddy, and my buddy, I was back, I was about 15 years old, 14, 15. My buddy was going to see a girl that he'd been talking to and said, she's got a cousin who's with her. She's a cheerleader. She's cute. You want to go? And, of course, every 14, 15-year-old boy goes, yes. And so you go. Don't know these people. All I know, cheerleader, cute, I'm in. So I go. Walk in. What are they playing with? Ouija board. They say, you want to talk to Matt? This is Matt. I said, no. What's wrong? Are you afraid of Matt? No. What are you afraid of? And to God. It's spelled out D-A-D. I was an atheist at the time. And I'm like, I'm out. Nope. Not messing. See ya. And so, so he becomes demon-possessed. He's demon-possessed. They can't even keep him in prison. He's breaking chains. He's running around naked in a graveyard. And he says, after Jesus expels the demons, he says, can I come with you? And Jesus says, no, just go tell people what happened. He did. Do you see what happened here? A man who was demon-possessed and terrorizing a graveyard, which that's nightmare fuel, then becomes a preacher. Like that. Incredible. We're not done. 840. Now when Jesus returned, a crowd welcomed him, for they were all expecting him. 41. Then a man named Jairus, a synagogue leader, that's a Jewish church leader, came and fell at Jesus' feet, pleading with him to come to his house. Because his only daughter, a girl of about 12, was dying. As Jesus was on his way, the crowds almost crushed him. And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years. Think about that. No one could hear her. 12 years. Now, again, going back to what give Jewish people the heebie-jeebies, bleeding, one of them. Open sores, bleeding, you're unclean. So for 12 years, this woman, everywhere she went, in any Jewish village, any synagogue, anywhere, when she walked because she had some kind of problem, she had to say everywhere she went, unclean, unclean, unclean. And the crowds would just part. No family dinners. No worshiping with her family. Isolated and suffering. 44. She came up behind him, him being Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak. That's important. And immediately her bleeding stopped. Why is that important? Here's why. There is a prophecy about the Messiah in the book of Malachi. Malachi 4.2, which says healing is in the wings of his garment. Guess what they call the edge of their cloaks? The wings of their garment. 
Healing is found in the edge of the garment of the Messiah. So what is she doing by touching the edge of his cloak? She is saying, I believe you are the Messiah. That's what she's doing. 45, who touched me? Jesus asked. When they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are crowding and pressing against you, but he's not, they're not following him. He knows what she touched. By the way, whenever God asks a question in Scripture, he's not looking for information. He's looking for confession. Right? Go back to Genesis 3. He's giving people a chance to fess up. It's not like he doesn't know what's going on. 46. But Jesus said, someone touch me. I know the power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. See a pattern there? In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. Then he said to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I want to clarify one thing real quick. This passage has been twisted to death by preachers with really good teeth on TV. You ever notice they always have really good teeth? A lot of teeth whitener in that ministry. So they, they twist this, say, your faith can heal you. If you just have enough faith, God will heal you. Really, that would have been news to Paul. What is the Apostle Paul? Paul? Apostle Paul has got all these physical problems. And he said he asked God to heal him. And what did God say? My grace is sufficient. So you're going to tell me Paul couldn't pull it off. But if you just try real hard, you can. Give me a break. Again, God will do what God will do. Keep that in mind. So while Jesus was still speaking, someone came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, and said, your daughter is dead. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Real subtle guy, isn't he? Hearing this, Jesus said to Jairus, don't be afraid, just believe. She'll be healed. When he arrived at the house of Jairus, he did not let anyone go in with him except Peter, John, James, and the child's father and mother. Meanwhile, all the people were wailing and mourning for her. Stop wailing, Jesus said. She is not dead, but asleep. They laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. He took her by the hand and said, and this doesn't get this quite right. I'll try to explain here in a second. My child, get up. Her spirit returned, and at once she stood up. Then Jesus told them to give her something to eat. Her parents were astonished, but he ordered them not to tell anyone what had happened. Now, what Jesus says there, in the Greek, it's, he takes her hand very gently and what he says is something along the lines of, I mean, my child is, is, is grammatically correct, but it's not, there's not enough weight to it. It's almost like um, someone speaking to their daughter and saying, sweetheart. Something like that. It's, it's a term of close endearment. It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a term of compassion and love. That's the term. That's the term. Now, Let's put all this together. Let's put all this together. Okay. Do you even remember where we started? Probably not. Why? Because what has Jesus done? He's told the wind to stop. Stop. 
demon, get out. Demon got out. You like the pig thing. He goes, heals a woman, raises a little girl from the dead, and you forget where we start. Where do we start? These are my brothers. These are my sisters. This is my family. How does that all fit together? As I said, that would have been shocking to a Jewish audience. They didn't get it. The early church really wrestled with this. What do you mean we're family? We're brothers and sisters. What, 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 what do you mean? Because the term family then and now has that same connotation. It's, it's if you're family, what do you do? You don't turn your back on family. You may have to practice some tough love every once in a while, but, but generally you don't, you don't turn your back on family. Even though, think about your family, there's always that one. You know who I'm thinking of. You know who it is. If you're, not, if you're sitting there going, I don't know, everyone in my family is great. You don't have that one person, like the one person you don't talk politics with at Thanksgiving? Okay, if you don't know who that person is in your family, that is evidence it is you. <laughs> Just saying. And families have always had this. This has been on and on and on from the beginning. Families have always had this dynamic. It's, it's this weird thing, right? You've heard the old saying, because we in Appalachia, we're, we're really poetic. You know, you can pick your friends, you can pick your nose, but you can't pick your family. And, and, and it's a weird thing. You think about it. You know, you, you're born into this thing. You've had, you have no say in it. You're just there. Every family has at least a bit of dysfunction. And you got to deal with that. You didn't ask to deal with that. And you're just born into it. And, and you have these ties for the rest of your life. With people you didn't choose to hang out with to begin with. It's weird, isn't it? And at the same time, we, we, have, uh, we have this emotion. We, 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 we love these people. And even when they drive us crazy. It's the way a family is. It's just family. That's family. You do things for family you wouldn't do for anyone else, even if you treat them like garbage. I don't know. I told this story last night. Mom's still speaking to me, so I'll say it again. My, I have four siblings. I have a younger sister, and I have two older brothers and an older sister. Growing up, my oldest brother, Greg, who was now a pacifist attorney and judge. But when he was a teenager, he was a bit of a handful, had a bit of a temper, liked to get into fights. I remember once as a kid, I remember this, I was like three or four years old. He walked into my room and he took a block. Remember we used to play with blocks? He took one of my wooden blocks. I said, where are you going with that, Bubby? He said, don't worry about it. And he started wrapping stuff, put it on his fist and started wrapping it up like, oh, boy, I don't want to know. And my oldest brother, his term of endearment for my sister Luann, my older sister, was ugly. That's what he called her. Were you doing ugly? Get out of my way, ugly. 
Turn the channel, ugly. One day, my sister Luann, when she was in middle school, she comes home. She's crying. My brother Greg says, what's wrong, ugly? She doesn't want to say. He finally gets it out of her. What happened? Two boys on her way home took her money. He said, who were they? Where was it? You don't go that way home tomorrow, ugly. Two days later, those boys came up to my sister, gave her her money back, and did so with black eyes. It's what you do for family, right? We do things for family we would not do for anyone else, even if we treat them badly. It's just what we do. And what Jesus is saying is, your family. That's who you are. It drives me crazy when I hear this from people who call themselves Christians. I'll see somebody that I haven't seen in a while, and they'll tell me something like, well, today I just felt like I needed some church. Really? I hear there's some other people that they went to this church, then they went to this church, then they went to this church, and then they're going to this church, but they're thinking about going to this church. Does that sound like family? That's pretty me-centered, isn't it? When last time I checked, the Bible says Christianity is supposed to be God-centered. You can't treat church like, mm, do I prefer Target or Walmart? Jesus says, this is your family. And you don't leave family. You get irritated with them. That happens. Just a church family is like any family. It has some dysfunction. It has that one relative that drives you crazy. That's at every church. That just happens. I had a professor in seminary tell me the only thing keeping some churches together is lack of communication. It just happens. When people get together, people are going to rub. And you just have to deal with it. And I don't think now closer to 50 than 40, unfortunately, I don't think you really appreciate church family till you get older. The same way you don't appreciate family when you're, say, I don't know, how many of you have seen this? Teenagers? Not many teenagers appreciate family, right? I can prove it to you. Never raised a teenager? I'm sure you've seen this, or you've been one. If your teenager is out and about, at the movies, at the mall, wherever. And they turn around and they bump into somebody, what do they say? 
oh, excuse me, or I'm sorry. What do they say to you or their siblings at home? Move! They treat total strangers with more respect, don't they? That's family. It's not till later on when you, when you start to get older and get a little bit of gray in your hair and stuff that you begin to really appreciate family. And I think it's the same way with the church. That it takes a while. You think about when you get older in a family, you know, what, what do you do? You, you, your kids get older, they leave the house, or you hope they do, and you're there, and maybe it's just you, or maybe it's just you and your spouse, and then all of a sudden, a visit or a telephone call means a lot more, doesn't it? And you think about your church family. What happens if you're in the hospital and you see Ralph walk in the door? Means something, doesn't it? It's what family does. It's just what family does. What do you do as a family when you get together? Holidays, reunions. You eat together, either communion or donuts for us. You talk. You begin to talk about those who are no longer with you eventually, right? You begin to tell stories. We do that all the time as a staff. We talk about the people who have gone on. I still remember for those of you who remember Mr. Schaefer, Don Schaefer, or Ray Thompson, Ray Thompson continued. Ray Thompson was police chief, and Don Schaefer had been a, a city cop. And after they both retired, Thompson still ordered Schaefer around. And when I ran away from home, when I was 15, I ran away from home, and I was staying at this guy's house, uh, basically living on his couch. And I get a knock on the door. At like 8 o'clock in the morning, I was probably hungover, to be honest. I got up, opened the door. There's Ray Thompson and Mr. Schaefer. I thought, oh, boy, I'm in trouble now. And I was. They marched in. They didn't ask to come in. They just came in. They were cops. They come in. Schaefer just stands like this, staring at me. The former Marine turned city cop. Ray Thompson says, boy, what the blankety-blank are you doing? You can fill in the blankety-blanks. Now, why would they do that? Family. How do you, be, how do you become a healthy member of any family, including this one? Well, that's like an entire sermon series, but I'll start here and I'll finish here. So I'll quit. 
I think you start this way. You look at the one who stilled the wind and the sea, who casts out evil with a word, who heals with a touch, who resurrects the dead, and by the way, one day, all of you who have faith in Jesus Christ will take your last breath here, and the next thing you will see is the Messiah taking your hand and saying, my child, get up. And you look at that, and you hear him say, these are your brothers, these are your sisters, this is your family. I think that entire display of power was to teach one thing, to drill it into the disciples' head and now into ours. This is your family. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you. You did not just come to save souls, though we praise you for that. You came to create a church. You came to create a church that is to be family, people that are to love and care for one another, to treat them just as we treat our own family members, even when they drive us crazy. You don't turn your back on family. We thank you for this. We thank you for this church as imperfect as it is. We thank you for our salvation. May we worship you and serve you and each other every day. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. God go with you. I'm done. Go. I'm going to take a nap. Christ Community Church, located at 25th and Thomas Avenue in Portsmouth, Ohio. Christ Community meets on Saturday at 5 p.m. and Sunday at 10.30 a.m. For more information, visit www.christcommunity.net or check out our Facebook page.